On this week's 51%, we take a break to focus on ourselves. Dermatologist Dr. Jean Buhack offers up some tips to better love the skin you're in. SPF, sunscreen, is the most effective prejuvenation, anti-aging treatment across the board. And Dr. Sharon Uffberg speaks with author Elaine Fluker about the importance of asking for help and how doing it all doesn't have to mean doing it all alone. Coming up on 51%. I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. I had my sunglasses on, I wanted to be seen without seeing Shiloh Alita. I wasn't really in it. I didn't really get it. You're listening to 51%, a WAMC production dedicated to women's issues and experiences. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jesse King. We've got another trio of health-related discussions for you today. The holiday season can be a particularly stressful time for us all. And in between shopping and work and planning family occasions, it's important not to let your health go to the wayside and to ask for help if you need it. That's something even I need to remind myself from time to time. So that's what we're going to do a little bit of today. Our first guest is Dr. Hida Nuremberg, Director of Headache Medicine at Nuvance Health. Dr. Nuremberg is double board certified in neurology, and while headache medicine might seem like a pretty specialized field, she says it's certainly a much needed one, especially during the holiday season. She says the holidays bring a perfect storm of migraine triggers. So common triggers for headaches and migraines that stress is a big one, doing a lot of things all at once, certain foods for some patients, uh, stinky cheeses, nitrates, certain seasonings, uh, some patients too much sugar, alcohols as well, uh, lack of food, lack of sleep. So especially going, going constantly. So I always counsel my patients about triggers and not everybody gets a predictable triggers, but if you have predictable triggers that you can avoid, avoid or minimize so they don't cause migraines. What exactly is, I guess, is happening when you're, when someone's having a headache or migraine? Regular headaches, uh, a lot of people get, so it's like more pressure. Uh, you don't get sick when you have a migraine. It's a headache that makes you sick. Uh, lights bother you, smells, noises, you get fatigue, nauseous, uh, also can cause problems with concentration. Usually uh, the signal from migraine starts in the back of the brain in the area that controls vision. That's why some people see colors or shapes. But as this happened, and the best way I explain it to my patients is that it's a chemical strong in the brain. Arteries expand and they release pain-causing chemicals. Uh, other areas in the brain get activated that cause all the other symptoms with migraine. And this settles in the, the nerve uh, called the trigeminal nerve, which is the nerve that carries sensation to the face, but it connects to pain pathways for head and neck pain. So is it normal on some level to get headaches or even a migraine from time to time? Or at what point do you use seek treatment? So migraines are less common, like regular headaches is uh, tension type headaches are the most common type of headache, 89, 89% of people get it. Usually uh, migraines are a little bit tougher. That's somebody like uh, we recommend uh, to see somebody because the pain is, can be very disabling. Actually, migraines are the second cause of disability in the world. So if you're having one migraine a month, but it's lasting three days or four days and it's making you miss work or school, uh, then that is something you, you should see somebody. Because a lot of the times the over-the-counter medications do not work. Same thing with regular headaches. I see many patients with regular attention type headaches, but they they happen very frequent. Over-the-counter medications don't cut it. And if you're taking too much over-the-counter medications, sometimes I can make the headaches worse. When you're looking at treatments for migraines and headaches, like what are some of the treatments that you get? 
So there's different classes and, uh, of treatments that we have, and it's kind of like an art. Every patient's different. In the headache society, we always say, no migraine patient is alike. Uh, so we have oral medications. Uh, we have devices that help for breaking a migraine. We have injection medications. Uh, we even use Botox when people have more than 15 headache days per month. So it's always uh, the different classes of medications. Uh, it's always a discussion with the patient about other conditions they have, medication side effects, patient preference. I have a lot of patients that tell me, I don't want any medicines. I'm like, well, if you have high frequency migraines, a little bit tougher to treat without medications, but there are options that I tell my patients don't suffer. I have the conversation if like they, there are some supplements I help, but if the supplements are not helping, then we might go to an oral medication. Can migraines be tied to any like other neurological issues or things that people should be worried about? Sometimes with autoimmune conditions, uh, sometimes it's incidentally. Uh, when we see uh, migraines and other like seizures, it's usually coincidence. Migraines are usually it's a silent disease because patients look normal. When we look at imaging, it's normal, but we understand a lot about the pain and the, the severity of migraines. And is there a difference between the way migraines might pop up in women versus men? Usually they're about the same. And actually migraines before puberty, they're more common in boys and after they double in women. So men still get migraines. Usually there are particular migraine that uh, women get that is pure menstrual migraine. So migraines with, around the menstrual cycle, those tend to be a little bit more disabling, more severe, other body pains, cramps, but other types of migraines, it could be just the same as men too. And so just in general, as people are planning for the holiday season, like what are your tips for making those plans in order to help avoid migraines? So definitely if I buy gifts or stressful, plan ahead, online shopping, uh, other things like be aware of the foods that they might be serving in a place, certain alcohols if people want to drink, try to be well rested. Part of what the headache doctors do, we want people to enjoy life at the fullest without migraines interfering with your life. So if you have a lot of triggers that are not always necessarily you can avoid, then we recommend starting daily medications, a preventive medication or something to have something handy as needed for rescue that works. Dr. Hida Nuremberg is the director of headache medicine at New Vance Health. Uh, Dr. Hida Nuremberg, thanks so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Our next guest is Dr. Jean Buhack, a board-certified dermatologist who has been operating out of her practice in Saratoga Springs, New York, for more than 20 years. She's quite an accomplished person, who first got her bachelor's degree in economics at Cornell University before diving into her passion for medicine and pursuing her medical degree from Tufts University School of Medicine. She credits her many professors and her faculty peers at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Mass General Hospital with sculpting her into the dermatologist she is today. At Saratoga Dermatology and Medical Spa, she treats patients of all ages, races, and genders for a range of complex skin conditions and anti-aging procedures. I see all ages and I see a ton of skin cancer every single day. A lot of precancers, which are called actinic keratoses, and quite a bit of melanoma. People think that anything that's raised is a problem. However, an important take-home message is that moles that are flat 
are usually the problem and they may not even itch. So melanoma is very visual. You would typically, you know, observe a mole and it will not have a nice uniform color or a nice even edge to it. What typically happens is if you're watching something over time, um, that particular lesion would take on additional characteristics where it's growing outward in its diameter and then it gets an irregular edge, maybe a shadow, and it gets different colors as part of it. It's not symmetric, it's variegated. Those are really important. I mean, people need to look at their entire skin surface, look with a mirror, check their backs, their feet, their hands, their scalp. So we do a full skin check to make sure that they have nothing that's evolving. But early detection, it's the most curable cancer that we have today. And the other two types of um, main categories of skin cancer are basal cell cancers, which typically you know, arise like a pimple that doesn't heal. So we tell patients if anything lasts for two months or more to go and have that investigated. It can also look like a patch of eczema so anything that's a, a flat, pink, scaly patch shouldn't be assumed that it's just a little patch of dry skin. If it's still persisting, despite perhaps uh, over-the-counter use of cortisone or any appropriate treatment of eczema, if it's still there to have that checked. And then the third would be squamous cell cancer. Those tend to be, they can look warty, they're red, they can be very tender. The ones that, all of these that I've just mentioned are typically seen on the sun-exposed areas of the body. How early should people start looking at these things? Is this something that even younger people should be looking at? As a matter of fact, I did biopsy a lesion on an 11-year-old boy today. So melanoma can occur as young as that. And I've seen young women who have done tanning booths, you know, in their early 20s with melanoma. Anyone is a candidate for a good skin check but the people that should be more aware or pressing to get in for a, a check would be those with large numbers of moles. And I know for individuals, sometimes they think freckles are moles, but if they're not sure, they shouldn't try to stay at home and decide for themselves. They should talk to their primary care doctor or reach out to you know, a dermatologist for a visit. Or if there's a family history, of course, if there's a family history of melanoma, or even basal cell, squamous cell, because a lot of these will cluster and people have more than one type of cancer as well. You mentioned tanning booths. Are there any other kind of like activities or things that can sort of contribute to skin cancers? Smoking, you know, excessive smoking. You know, there's those environmental factors that play a role. Sun exposure is the most common and the biggest reason why people develop skin cancer. Starting at an early age, putting the SPF 50 on, reapplying every couple of hours, using protective clothing, avoiding the high peak from like 10 to 2 or 10 to 3, and protecting the skin is of utmost importance. And that is the most major, you know, anti-aging cream and therapy that we have is sunscreen. You know, if you start early and you do it, it's like the best anti-aging cream, as well as protecting against skin cancer. I guess that kind of goes into one of my next questions. Like, what would you say, like, overall is a good example of healthy skincare or like a skincare regimen? Because if I go on Instagram, I see like a billion different things talking about like face serums or combinations of lotions to use and stuff like that. And it always makes me wonder, like, what's like a good way to go about it? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think we're overburdened with way too many products out there. I mean, there's basic guidelines on certain categories of things that have been proven and researches out there that show they are effective. So that's the main thing because anyone can put on their label improves the appearance of. But what we're really interested in is that it could help increase collagen. It stimulates collagen production, helps with fine lines. And those categories will basically be vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, retinols, especially tretinoin, which stimulates collagen production, glycolic acid. But I think people should you know, adhere to just in general, you know, like I said earlier, the SPF 50 and good moisturizers that are oil-free are suitable for everyone. And there are other people with different types of skin conditions that benefit from, you know, certain products if they have rosacea that they'd have to gear for for sensitive skin. And there's lists of those. I mean, Cetaphil, CeraVe, you know, the very common ones that are out there. Rosacea, is that, would you consider that more of like a medical condition or more of like a cosmetic concern when people come in for rosacea? Well, that's very interesting how some of the diagnoses in dermatology can be interpreted in different ways. You know, there's a, there's that spectrum. So rosacea is a medical condition. They can get bumps and pimples, nodules, pustules. It could be disfiguring. It's on a spectrum. Everyone's different. Some people just have mild redness. So there's different ways of approaching it. There's um, topical prescriptions and oral prescriptions, as well as laser applications that can help minimize the appearance of the blood vessels on the face. I'm also just thinking about other reasons people might come in, so maybe like acne or for like anti-aging treatments and stuff like that as well. Yes, we see a lot of patients uh, with acne. There's genetic components and stress components that play a role as well as things that they eat. You know, there's inflammatory foods, you know, and, and junk food and whey protein. And I see some athletes, they'll take whey and then they'll get this real large nodular cystic acne breakout. So we have to take a good history and approach each one individually. And there's adult acne and there's such a spectrum, but there's multiple different treatments that are available out there that can really help. And so anyone with acne suffering at home, I feel bad for some people that they don't get the attention because they could be left with, you know, scarring, long-term scarring. When you say the different treatments that they can get for that, what are some of those different treatments? Well, as I mentioned, tretinoin is good for wrinkles, but it also initially has been for acne. It helps with the blackheads and whiteheads. And there's another medicine called Differin, which is over the counter. It used to be a prescription. There's those topicals, topical antibiotic lotions, benzoyl peroxides, and salicylic acids are used. And then we do oral antibiotics, more from an anti-inflammatory standpoint as opposed to really treating the bacteria. But I, I educate my patients so they understand the importance of using their medication because some expect, oh, I can do this for a few weeks and I should get better. It's very important so they don't waste their time that they understand that they have to invest that time. And after probably about six to eight weeks, that's when things really start working. So go to the topic of like anti-aging. At what point do you usually start seeing patients for things like that? You know, it could be mid-20s because they see a lot of images on social media and they want the nicer, fuller lips or they want to, they feel they should look differently than they are. 
up to people who are 80 or 85 who I might counsel with them and say, you know, this might not make that much of a difference. And they'll say, well, I just want to look like 75. So everyone has their, their little way of approaching things and what really bothers them. So I really listen carefully, although we can give advice as to the global, you know, appearance and skincare from our professional point of view. I really listen to what bothers them the most so I can put it in perspective because sometimes there are patients who maximize something that's very minimal, but I don't want to minimize their complaints. Do you hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and practicing medicine is a combination, you know, of art and science. We have the knowledge, the scientific knowledge on how to approach an aging face, but I think the art is how far do we take it? and how much is too much, which I think brings on another philosophical question. I mean, do we do it at all? Our whole society is geared toward producing new anti-aging things, but I think there comes a time where there needs to be a combination of acceptance and maybe treatment, alleviating some of the signs of aging that are reasonable. You know, and having a discussion is really important with patients to see where they're at. I talk to patients and, you know, I say, listen, if you really want that Botox, let's go ahead and do it. And you can do it for as long as you want. If you're going through a hard time right now in life, accepting what things look like at some point down the road, it might be that you don't even want it anymore. But so many times I have people who have spent a boatload of money and then they come to the appointment. And I have to tell them, well, you know, there's nothing proven behind, you know, what you just purchased, but I can tell you that these certain things are really helpful for your skin if, if you wanted to start with this. And so people can um, end up investing too much in something that may not be therapeutic for them. Something that I've read a lot about online is like prejuvenation about younger people trying to particular treatments to, I guess, help ward off the signs of aging a little bit further if they can. Is that, am I getting that right? Well, I think they may initiate some anti-aging treatments earlier because then there'll be some benefits where they're not trying to play catch up to it. But if they simply, if you think about it, there's intrinsic aging, which is internally pre-programmed, how our genes trigger our aging as we get older but extrinsic is from the sun. And so SPF, sunscreen, is the most effective prejuvenation, anti-aging treatment across the board. So if they start simply with just doing that, and maybe like vitamin Cs, which are antioxidant, you know, no excessive alcohol, eating, you know, more plant-based diet is helpful, avoiding hormone-infused meat products and milk, you know, dairy, like, of that nature, that would go a very long way. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate well, it. thank you for having me here. Thank you so much, and all the best to everyone out there. Our last guest today is the host of the Support is Sexy podcast and the author of the new book, Get Over, I Got It, How to Stop Playing Superwoman, Get Support, and Remember That Having It All Doesn't Mean Doing It All Alone. 
Elaine Fluker says ambitious women in all areas of life, whether they're at home, in the office, or in the classroom, too often feel like they're not allowed to ask for help. And that mindset can actually hold us back and stress us out. Fluker shared her tips with Dr. Sharon Uffberg, co-founder of the California-based personal development company Borrowed Wisdom, for her 51% segment, Force of Nature. I attended a workshop in 2015, I want to say, and during that time, I saw a reflection of myself and other people in that workshop who were struggling with asking for actually two things, Sharon, love and support. So not even just support, love and support. When I say struggling, I mean like boo-hoo crying, don't make me do it, I don't want to ask, or I don't know how to ask. And it was really my first time saying, oh, I think I have that problem too. But this was something I really wanted to carry with me, this idea of embracing support as something positive, as it not being something that's a weakness or something to shy away from. And I started saying this phrase, support is sexy, thinking of support in a different way. Support is sexy, support is sexy. And when I would say it to other women, especially women entrepreneurs or women who were doing just different things in our lives, this was in New York at the time, so, you know, we have that whole hustle mentality and sometimes don't even pause to think about how support could show up for us. I would see these women light up. And that's when I thought, maybe there's something to this whole support is sexy thing. And then that evolved into eventually me doing the podcast called Support is Sexy and then ultimately writing this book, Get Over I Got It, because I found that most of us as ambitious women have what I call I Got It Syndrome. What exactly is the I Got It Syndrome? Explain that a bit more to me. I think it's something that's almost like a trigger response for some of us. We don't even think consciously about how much we're turning support away, whether that is, I should say, literally someone coming to us and say, can I help you with that? Is this some way I can support you? Do you need some whatever version of that? Or something simple like a serendipitous moment in the street where someone could possibly support you with something and we're so quick to turn it away. So it's not even just I say I got it from other people. Sometimes we're stopping the universe from coming into our lives and helping work things out because we're so focused on how we're going to manage it or do it or quote unquote handle it, right? Everyone's all, I'll make it happen. I'll handle it. Well, you know what? You might be suffering from I got it syndrome and pushing the opportunity or really opportunity, Sharon, but more so even possibility away by saying this, I got it without even thinking of it. How do you see shifting the idea of getting the support they need for ambitious, high energy women entrepreneurs? Well, one of the things that I like to do to remind us all to remember to even ask for support, because sometimes I will say we're all moving on autopilot. We have so much to do. We have so much to accomplish or people to serve or things to do at work. So there might be reasons that we don't pause for a moment and think about this. But I encourage any woman listening, pause and think about the word HELP, H-E-L-P. And I use that as an acronym to remember the H, having it all, doesn't mean doing it all alone. So just as you just said, some of us feel like we have to do it all. Well, is that true or is that a belief? Sometimes it's a belief that we have to do it all alone or it's a belief that no one shows up for us or it's belief that no one else will do it like we can. But having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. You don't have to prove that you can do it by yourself. And a lot of times getting support will help you do it even better. The E in help is ask empowering questions. So when you're looking for support, it's not why am I so stupid? Why can't I do this? Why haven't I figured this out by now? A more empowered question might be, okay, this is something I want to accomplish or do or even check off my to-do list. What are the ways that I might be able to get support for this? Who is someone who might have done this before who could give me some advice? Whether that's someone you know personally or someone you look up on the computer, we have access to almost everybody and everything now. So what are the questions you're asking yourself? 
The L is to live that question. So this is something I learned from this woman, Patricia Moreno, and it's this idea of, especially, again, as ambitious women, as go-getters, we're women who have the answers. A lot of us are paid to have the answers or people come to us because we have the answers. So it's tough for us to imagine living a question, being in that space of openness, again, of asking How can I get support up for this? What are some things that I might be missing that could be helpful to me? And then not necessarily knowing, at least right away, how to answer that question. I wrote down in my journal a bunch of questions that I'm living right now, and I did not answer them, which is the hardest thing ever. So live the question and also let go of the how. So, again, we don't want to get into a space of this is something I want to do. This is how I'm going to tightly manage this. This is exactly how it's going to happen. That's not to say don't have a plan. Of course you want to have a plan, but what if there's some opportunity for support that comes from somewhere else? And then the P is believe in the possibilities. So you can't do all those other things and then not believe it's possible for support to show up for you in ways you might not even be able to imagine. I think it's so important for women to read a book like yours so women can see that successful, ambitious women don't have to do it all alone. Can you speak for a moment on the particular challenges women of color face regarding needing, asking, or getting the support they may want or need? Yes, I think as a Black woman, I can speak to my own experience and some of the women that I know and then women of other cultures, too. A lot of us were taught to be seen and not heard, or you think even from descendants of enslaved Africans. Uh, My parents, for example, grew up in the South in the 1930s. In the South, by the South, I mean Alabama. So they certainly were thought, you know, be seen and not heard, sometimes not even be seen. My mother, a, a story I share in the book, talks about how when they used to, she and her siblings as children, go into the shoe store, you weren't allowed to try on shoes. Or I've heard other people's parents say you weren't allowed to try on hats because you were black and they didn't want you to try on anything and then put it back on the shelf, which sounds like a very... Certainly, it's a a racist policy, but it sounds like a simple thing, but those kind of things impact you as a young person, as a person of color, and there's all kinds of experiences that many have had in those kinds of situations where you might be afraid to ask, literally afraid in their case, to ask for something that you want, and then that kind of transfers over in generation over generation. In fact, something that I like to um, quote now and or mention is some research that I've been looking at from uh, Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart, who is a social worker, clinician, and researcher who talked about historical trauma and how the multi-generational trauma experienced by certain cultural groups can be passed on to each generation. So that's something that I think applies in the same way to asking for support. So she first uh, explored it for Native Americans. Then you think, as I said, about descendants of slaves, or you think about Holocaust survivors and descendants of Holocaust survivors, or you think about Japanese Americans who were interned during World War II. So there's a lot of different groups of us culturally that might have a reason that asking for support wasn't something that we witnessed and then is something that we literally have to learn how to put into practice. But it's my hope that women, and my book is for all women who feel like they are, again, trying to do it all, figure it all out, and do it all alone, uh, for us to be able to say, acknowledge that this might be a reason or this might be where this comes from, but I encourage you to make a change because it is, as you said, not just about success, but this is about support for your peace of mind. That was Elaine Pluker, host of the Support is Sexy podcast, discussing her book, Get Over, I Got It. And this is Dr. Sharon Uffberg for 51%. 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's 51%. 51% is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. It's produced by me, Jesse King. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok, and our theme is Lolita by the Albany-based artist Girl Blue. Thanks to Dr. Hida Nuremberg, Dr. Jean Buhak, Dr. Sharon Uffberg, and Elaine Fluker for contributing to this week's episode. You can learn more about our guests and find episodes new and old at wamcpodcasts.org. You can also check us out on Twitter and Instagram at 51% Radio. Until next week, take it easy. I'm Jesse King for 51%. I was every single girl. I was nobody else. I was so sure of myself. I was 15 and a half. He was a hollow laugh. And I lost my cool somewhere along the way. The nightmare down the hallway. My cool, no electricity, hot rain on the concrete, sweet bells and little girl dreams. I said, Oh, I want a big life, not a house that could have been like. Where are you taking me? Where are you taking me? I said,